What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy, Marty Bent. Actually recording this separately, uh, this intro separately, than when the actual podcast was recorded. Unfortunately, uh, we had our our episode with Eduardo Medina interrupted midway through because the guys at Barstool were putting together a Fire Flames rap song, uh, basically coming at Michael Rappaport, uh, due to the aftermath of his fallout with Barcelona Sports. Unfortunately, we did not catch the first half of the interview, but uh, luckily we got kicked out of the studio. Uh, not luckily got kicked out of the studio, but luckily after being kicked out of the studio, we were able to recover pretty nicely uh, and have a very, very, very uh, interesting conversation about Venezuela, its current state, how it got to where it is, uh, and uh, maybe how Bitcoin can help out going forward. Um so I hope you guys enjoy this conversation I had with Eduardo Medina. We're going to start it midway through, unfortunately, but alas, these things happen. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, but I still think it's a very, very, very quality conversation that everybody should hear. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy. Ah. It looks like we have somebody joining us. Zah is entering the studio now. Uh, he was telling me earlier he wants to sit on this. He just he just finished his dinner. He's going to join us, Eduardo, if you don't mind. Not at all. Welcome. Um, Thank you. Um, yeah, so I guess what I'm curious to learn is is you came to the States, what, in 2005? That's right, yeah, 2005. And what was the, uh, what was the environment like in Venezuela when you left? Obviously not as bad as it is now. Um, what were the conditions like then? Yeah. It's been getting uh, worse and worse uh, every year for the past few years, right? And uh, back in 2005, uh, to put it in context, so Chavez came to power in 99, right? And um, things weren't perfect before Chavez, of course, uh, the reason why he actually came to power. But uh, by 2005, uh, things weren't that bad. Um, as a part of the as part of the Venezuelan diaspora, I've uh, ended up reading a lot about um, you know migrations and exodus and how that how that goes down because it's obviously not particular to Venezuela uh, and uh, it, what it, it usually it turns out that it's usually on like cycles and waves right mm-hmm. um, you know the people who can leave first they do and then uh, you know it goes by waves and then as as the situation gets worse and worse and worse more people leave. Uh, so by 2005, you know, it, it was, uh, the people who were paying attention, they could see like from far, far away, like, yeah, this is not looking pretty. Um, and, and started leaving, but things weren't that bad back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were, they were still, it was still like a livable country more or less. Um, right now it's not, it's not the case at all. No, no, obviously not. Um, actually, if you hear the stories coming out of Venezuela, they're pretty, pretty, pretty heavy um yeah people eating out of trash and famine I mean, basically like a fat would you would you consider it a famine going on or um close yeah. to it i mean because we, we could get down to the details of how do you actually define a, a famine like, mm-hmm. but but yeah i mean people are are starving uh to death uh to some points right so if that's uh enough of a of a data point to to be considered a famine then yeah Fuck, man. And then, so who'd you come over with? Or you, did you come to, straight to America? Or 
yeah. Virginia, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Virginia. Virginia. I lived in Virginia for about seven years, almost seven eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I came with uh, with my family. Yeah, it was it wasn't my decision at all. You know, like I was freaking like fourteen years old back then. I I didn't want to leave. Um, but yeah, my uh, my parent, my dad, uh, uh, works at the the main oil. He used to work at the main oil company back mm-hmm. in Venezuela. Um, and as a matter of fact, and by 2005, what had happened was that uh, the main, the the first sort of hit the 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 the, the yeah the the very first hit that the government received uh, happened in like 2002, 2003. Uh, it was uh, what do you mean by hit? Well, okay, so it was a a national strike that happened. Okay. 2002, 2003, and this national strike was actually. Um, uh, not coordinated, but a, a big part of it was that the the uh, oil uh, company, the the nation-owned uh, state uh, company, uh, they were like part of the national strike, so it was like a big deal. You know, the, the, this this company, which PDVSA, it's called, uh, they you know they they run the oil, and the oil is uh, the main thing in Venezuela. So uh, as they were part of the the national strike, it was like a big deal. It was like a for two or three months or something like that, um, you know, everything was like paralyzed, uh, and it was uh, an attempt to put pressure on to the government and uh, and you know, and looking for a change. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't turn out so well. Uh, it was it was it was messy. Uh, you know, there were some some deaths. Uh, there was some blood on the streets. Uh, at the end, like Chavez ended up resigning, but then came back, and it was like a it was like a huge it was like a huge mess. Um, but what what was certain and true after that was that um, you know Pedavesa wasn't the same after that. Okay. As a matter of fact, uh, the after after that whole episode, uh, Chavez like went on like national television and like he actually fired like a bunch of people, and uh, and you know Pedavesa like you know this just wasn't the same. Um, so by 2005, yeah, like you know my dad was yeah after that whole episode he was definitely looking at other opportunities and. And so yeah, we migrated uh, with my family, uh, my, my mother, mom, and brothers. Uh, lived in Virginia for a few years, um, and and yeah, now I'm here. The situation in Venezuela though gets, at this point, it's it's getting worse by the day um, because it's just it gets it's worsening, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, by by the day today, I mean it used to be like every year back then, but yeah, it's uh, it's hard to quantify it. That's um that's one thing we were talking about when Za was was on the podcast that like it's impossible to quantify. It's you'll, you'll get to the point where it's going to be getting worse by the minute. Exactly. Not by yeah. The day. It's, it's <laughs> crazy, if we yeah, man. if we're not there yet um because it's just you know there's there's no data like the 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 official institutions uh don't release data and when they do it's it's not not you know not reliable. One thing I'm curious to see is like do you think the failure of this petro launch will delegitimize the government to a point where it's like, all right, that was like the last straw. It gets finally like proven that this guy is so fucking incompetent that it, we have to overthrow him. Or I, I'm not going to put the onus on the people of Venezuela to overthrow their government. Yeah, but. yeah. It's an interesting question because that's uh, I hope you know that's what I hope. Um, if anything, what has been happening in the past in the past few years. Is that this this uh, you know this mask that the the regime had? It's been falling off, mm-hmm. and you know it's gotten to the point after the the events from last year, 
that you know they they lost a whole ton of uh, credibility and and uh, and yeah and this this petrol is like a it's sort of the you know the the latest car that they're playing and I, I yeah I do hope that if that turns out that it just helps for the deterioration right yeah we were um we got Nate entering entering the studio as well hello welcome Nate thank you for having me I love this podcast well thanks for joining us we love having you on Eduardo one thing we were talking about before we hopped on here I was asking you so obviously there's people that have to hold up this government in the form of an army and Maduro's sort of regime. How's the regime been holding up? Like, how, how, how are, is the regime, like, the people, Maduro's, like, underlings that, that carry out sort of uh, his orders? How are they viewed? Has, has their numbers dwindled over the year? Um, mm. Sort of what's that situation of the people who are actually, like, do they get, do they get special treatment? Are they getting money right. on the side? Like, what's going on there? Yeah, well, they've been, Pretty much playing the number of uh, of you know the the strong hand right. Uh, in usually, uh, if you look at Venezuela's history, it's like a very uh, um, a military country, right? And so mm-hmm. sort of being like in our DNA type of thing. And this this government is a it's a military government, right? Chavez was a, a military himself. Um, so right from the beginning, it was it was you know coming from that um, from that angle, from that militaristic sort of stance. Right. Exactly. And it's uh it's still it's still true today of course uh you know the military has been always sort of the the car that okay well if the military does this and maduro will fall this and that um but at the end of the day you know the the people who are still um sort of benefiting from that um uh you know which may be apart from the the, the military but also beyond uh it comes down to you know they, they're just you know grabbing a piece of that of that pie of that, that oil pie and uh, and just basically, you know, trying to take advantage of the whole situation and, and getting, you know, some type of uh, f- money from that. Just a kickback. Um, damn, man. It's fucking heavy shit. Like, I can't imagine. Like, that's what we were talking about. Well, so, like, we were talking about the famine earlier. Like, I don't want to call famine. People are just being hungry. Like, we can't imagine being, like, yeah. hungry like people are in, in Venezuela right now. I'll tell you what, Marty. I hopped in thinking we were going to have, like, an upbeat conversation about, like, <laughs> Stuff. So I was like all like feeling myself walking in here like, hey, I'm going to jump on the crypto podcast real quick. And then I've just been sitting here like, well, this is this is not yeah. what I expected at all. We're yeah. getting into heavy geopolitical situations yeah. here. Yeah, so I don't I mean, know if you know, Nate, uh, Venezuela launched a cryptocurrency this week. No, I've been following it a little bit. I don't completely understand it, but nobody I, does. It was it kind of took <laughs> I, I really thought I was going to hop in and we be like, yeah, this all. Yeah. Like high five. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm just going to sit here and kind of listen. For a well, minute. this is the reason why we have things right. like Bitcoin exactly. um, right. for situations like this. So this is probably a good segue. Thank you for providing a segue here, Nate. How can Bitcoin help in this situation in your mind? Like, how do you? I mean, I don't think Bitcoin is going to solve Venezuela's problems, but you, right. you've obviously been driven towards Bitcoin. You, when, how long have you been into Bitcoin? Uh, I first found out about it about 2014 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was during a hackathon. A friend of mine convinced us to like go to this hackathon, and you know, it was like Bitcoin related, and I didn't know what Bitcoin was, and I was like, oh, I have an idea, and whatever. It was in Las Vegas, so we ended up going. Um, and ended up going well, and that's like when the, the first time I heard, okay, Bitcoin's like a thing. Um, but I came out of that, and I, I I sort of dismissed it, like most people do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I realized that it was like an important thing, like in the finance world, and yeah, like P 
people were really into it and that's fine but i didn't i kind of sort of dismiss it um and i didn't really pick it back up until i realized that that it goes beyond the 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 potential of it goes beyond the the finance uh, realm right mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, have to blame Santi for that and, you know, <laughs> sort of the, the whole, um, uh, angle that they were coming from, like, okay, they can actually help in, in changing things, uh, as broad as, as like, you know, democracy and this and that. Um, that's when I, that's when I first found out about it. And, and yes, indeed, you know, Venezuelans have also found out about it. Uh, the hyperinflation that's currently eating away everybody's savings in Venezuela Uh, it's it's only natural that people try to you know escape that. Uh, the the main thing you know you go to Venezuela, um, let's say like three or four three or four years ago, everybody was trying to buy dollars and like they you know like, you got dollars like I'll buy you dollars like everybody's trying you know uh, ex, you know change their bolivares from to to dollars. Um, ever since Bitcoin you know became a thing and started uh, sort of gaining influence in the whole world really uh venezuelans turned turn to bitcoin of course the venezuelans turned to bitcoin uh, seeing that it, it was uh, an alternative it was, it was a way they saw it as a, as a solution right mm -hmm. uh, a way to to escape the the hyperinflation and uh as as, as is only normal yeah at first it was only the geeks and the nerds and you know the younger generation too of course yeah uh people who would mind this and that Uh, but it's gotten to the point where like my aunts were asking me about it, like, really? you know, like non-savvy people. Yeah, really. It, yeah, it's definitely gotten to that point. Like sending you a wild address, like hey. And I yeah. think that's important when the older generation realizes that oh, this is kind of like our way out of the system, where it just adapts, 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 and the older generation gets involved right. in it, and then all of a sudden you're not reliant on the government, and you can kind of take matters into your own hands. Right, right. Because I mean, something we should like be clear about is that. Um, Venezuela is an outlier right now. You know, like the, the the situation in Venezuela, it's like it's um, it's it's extremely particular to to its own to its own case, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's an, outlier in the, an outlier in the sense that you know something like this would happen. Like the you know older generations um, maybe will have a uh, a harder time coming around to to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. But when you're in a situation like the older generation in Venezuela is, then then yeah, it it, it changes the whole. Yeah the whole spectrum right backed up against the wall forced to forced to adapt if you if you offer i mean if you're facing a three thousand five hundred plus percent inflation and whatnot if you're offered anything better than that then you know why why wouldn't you yeah exactly and so one thing that that's been going on is so before maduro launched the petro this week he was using or this is the story that's going around using the energy grid sort of trying to find where people were mining Bitcoin right. and shutting those mining operations down. What do you what do you know about that in particular? Right, right. Uh, as Venezuelans turned to Bitcoin as, a, as an escape to the whole hyperinflation thing, um, they they started they started mining, right? Uh, the people who could, who saw that there was an opportunity there, started mining. The electricity in Venezuela is actually rather cheap, uh, but unreliable. Um, as in, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get a lot of, uh, uh, light outs and whatnot every now and then. Uh, but yeah, people started, people started mining and then the, the, the regime caught on to that. Right. Mm -hmm. And they realized that, you know, there was like, there was an actual, people were actually making money there. Um, and as it's in their own nature to try to control and centralize everything, that's, that's what they do. 
uh, you know, they started getting onto that too. So it started as, you know, every now and uh, off cases, like, okay, you know, they found this, this minor, blah, blah, uh, you know, confiscate the, the whole equipment. Uh, it would usually be to like, to basically bribe them. Uh, and you would get like ironic situations where like, okay, you would, they would confiscate the equipment and then like ask the same person to like, you know, help them like install and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's fucking uh, A, man pretty ironic like that um but apparently it's gotten to the point where it's uh it's been more um it's just becoming more and more of a of a thing right like they're actually going after apparently uh looking down trying to hunt down the the miners and uh and trying to get a hold of that the situation right mm-hmm. uh this this that's the, the regime this regime that's what they need to do they need to grab a they need they can lose their grip of power right and so to do that you need to control and centralize everything they, they love centralizing do you think that grip's getting a little weaker i hope so yeah. uh yeah i hope so it's hard to tell but um uh, but it's when the what's true is that when you when you're facing the such of the type of economic disaster that's ahead for venezuela this year um you need you it's, it's something you can you just can't you can't really, you know, put it to the side and, and, and avoid that or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past few years, uh, because Venezuela is such a heavy oil-driven country, uh, whenever like things were going wrong, if there was at least like money coming in from the from the oil, then okay, the, you could sort of like offput the other things. But it's uh, it's not it's not always the case, right? There are highs and lows with the with the oil, the barrel price, and mm-hmm. so that um that definitely influences you know what the what the regime can or cannot do mm-hmm. just re-upping on the whiskey now this is a heavy conversation yeah i mean we- <laughs> <laughs> I need a lot of that <laughs> so i mean Zah, it's good to have you in the studio so f- listening to eduardo now like how how can you relate yeah, it, it it's it all sounds very familiar. Yeah. You know the, the timeline, the process it follows. As I was mentioning before we started, that it's you know these models are called models for a reason. It's it's the same. Yeah, each situation will have its own yeah. unique things. So like for example, what's different between your situation and ours is uh, you guys have oil. Okay, you yeah. guys have oil, and you know the cultural differences too. I believe. I believe Venezuela is a bit more violent than Zimbabwe is too. That, okay. that aspect. So there's little subtle differences, but the process just sounds the same. But what I f- what I found interesting just listening to that was, uh, well, uh, in our situation, I just it, I was curious uh, with with this whole presence of Bitcoin now in this present time. I'm I'm just trying to imagine us going through those times that we did. We were we were our our situation was pre Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So it was mm. uh, 2008, and I believe Bitcoin started in 2009, right? Beginning of 2009, 2009 yes. 2009, yes. I was, I was, I was, our dollar, our Zim dollar collapsed completely in 2008. So it's, it's, you know, it's interesting if we had this out, yeah. you know, this, uh, to, for lack of a better term, this out in Bitcoin in a, for our situation, it would have been really, really interesting to, to see yeah. how that, uh, that uh, yeah. how, how that dynamic will play out. Yeah, because uh, people have been using Bitcoin to to get supplies into the country, right? Am I into Venezuela? Is that correct? Uh, they've been like using it to buy Amazon gift cards, to buy yeah. goods to yeah, get yeah. shipped in. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because one of the problems is that you you'll get you have this uh, huge scarcity issue, right? So you you can have you'll have money. Like I'll send you, I'll send my my family dollars, and like you'll have money, you'll have cash, but then you can't actually 
find anything right you can't buy stuff you can't you can't find the, the food you need or the medicines you need um you can right there's there's no way around that if you have cash or not right and so what some people are doing uh more tech savvy people of course because this is not something that anybody can do they would they would rely completely on bitcoin and then like yeah buy stuff on amazon and have a ship to to deliver to to venezuela and like this would be like this whole complicated thing to like get groceries or something like that yeah mm-hmm. i can't imagine having to work that hard to get food on the table yeah well that's the thing it's gotten to, it gets to the point where like right now venezuelans you don't you don't live in venezuela you survive in venezuela you know what i mean damn it's um i like that that's that's very true that's it is it is situation it, it's it's hard to like imagine it even for me right because i left in 2005 and you know i was yeah. still living i wasn't like surviving i, I would i want to say um but but it, it's uh, you know a lot can happen in 10 years 10 12 years and yeah it's gotten to a point where they're just it's just you just survive and it's no but it's not a coincidence that's what you need to realize right it's not it's not um this is not happening out of the blue uh it's happening because they wanted to happen they the, the regime right you know the the whole premise is that you know they're they're following the the Cuban recipe, and um, in 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 this. What's the end game though? Like, what is the end game for them? Like, how? Like, are they that convoluted in the mind that they just are they that they're, megalomaniac? Yeah. Are they megalomaniacs that like are so self centered that like they honestly believe that they should have everything? That pretty much, yeah. Um, no, it comes down to the the money uh, being a uh, a very true factor money can definitely corrupt you and you know it gets to the point where there's so much money in venezuela with all the oil that's just sitting there that that you know gets people corrupted and they're just corrupted to the bone corruption ends up being like the the the, the core the core issue and for them it's, you know, it's like they have you know they have the grip of the power right now and you know there's uh they have the they have the money and, and you know if, if they let loose they're not they're not just they can't just really just like walk away and then like live a happy life and then there'll be like consequences after all they've done yeah so they they can they can like that's yeah we saw what happened to uh gaddafi in libya after he got run out of his uh and right his his uh his dictatorship went down right and dude got a knife to the asshole it's uh, not a good way to die right um, right yeah um <laughs> you want to get dark so <laughs> <laughs> down to get dark but Let's get more optimistic. Let's change. Let's change the tone here. Um, yeah. Let's get back to Bitcoin. You discovered Bitcoin in 2014. You said, mm-hmm. and you work for Democracy Earth. You're trying to bring an open source democracy. So let's spin this into Democracy Earth. How is Democracy Earth? That's what the project you're driven to. I yeah. would I would imagine you're driven to it because of what's going on in your home country. Like why yeah, yeah, why absolutely. are you inspired by Democracy Earth? Well, uh, okay. Uh, let me put it this way so in uh in venezuela you know um i was born in the i was born in 1990 so for you know kids my generation we grew up in that venezuela where uh you know the word revolution was always in the air right Mm -hmm. Uh, you know like we don't really know anything other than the chavista the chavista period the chavismo um and because of that uh elections like the election day there were always like a very big thing you know like we just it was just uh, the situation we were living in right uh with all the the political unrest and this and that elections were always like a very like emotionally charged day and like it was like a thing like we we thought it was like the way out and blah blah, blah. um that's obviously not i mean it hasn't uh, worked out it wasn't the case 
but for me, always like looking at democracy from that from that lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, elections were always like a very uh, you know voting itself was like a very interesting and um, important thing for me. And um, I was telling you the story of how, like, yeah, I, I heard about Bitcoin back then, 2014, blah, blah, It was more for, like, the, you know, it was like a, it was like a fintech hackathon. Mm-hmm. Never thought of it and from the other angle. Um, and then I started sort of, you know, looking into what, what Santi was doing back in Buenos Aires with the uh, Partido de la Red. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they were proposing, you know, a new way to look at a democracy, right? A democracy for the 21st century, they were, they were saying... Um, and then that sort of evolved to the point where, okay, democracy earth, you, there was, it was actually going straight at, or looking at Bitcoin and, and the blockchain as, um, as a, as a technology to, to use as a, as a solution. And it was since it was because of the combination of all these factors that, you know, that got me definitely drawn into democracy earth. Right. Uh, yeah. and you know, I, I see. I see what's happening in Venezuela, you know, the, the, the elections and the voting itself and, and, and what it meant to me. And then, okay, the, the potential that this, this, you know, blockchain voting could have. That's sort of how I, uh, I got, I got drawn into it. Um, but it's, it's still, you know, it's still complex, right? It's still, it's still broad. There's still a lot of work to do. Uh, and it's obviously Bitcoin, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain itself can, can offer many other things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really just diving into that world. So what are sort of the biggest problems you guys have faced at Democracy uh, Democracy Earth? Like, what are some of the biggest hurdles you guys have to overcome? Um, so the the Sovereign is the, the app itself that we have uh, developed to implement liquid democracy, right? Can we... Well, we have Zah in the room. Can we describe liquid democracy? Could you define it for us? Like, yeah. how how would it compare to uh, the representative democracy that we have yeah. here in America? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So liquid democracy um, sits in between direct democracy and representative democracy that you mentioned, right? Direct democracy being the... Uh, direct democracy being, you know, every individual, every citizen voting directly on every issue, every topic. Sort of, you know, the way um, the the Greeks were doing it back in the day um, in the in the agora, you know, everybody would get in the assembly and then just vote directly and whatever. Um, on the other side of that spectrum, uh, representative democracy is what we have now in most Western democratic countries, uh, where yeah, every four or five years, uh, you know, citizens get together and vote and elect all of your power all of your votes all of your decisions on 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 a person um and then and then that's that's pretty much it you know you, you can come back again in four or five years some countries and then uh, vote again liquid democracy is in between that liquid democracy um proposes that okay you know you can have we can have citizens vote directly on votes like a direct democracy or delegate your vote to somebody else somebody else that you trust um to to vote to vote for you and so we want to make it more dynamic more flexible right uh today it's 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 way rest- way too much uh it's restricted it's binary yes or no this and that we want to make it more flexible where you can delegate your trust to somebody else uh delegate your your vote i'm sorry to to somebody else that you trust and and have have it be so that you can revoke it you know if at any point if you don't if you don't like what they're doing for mm-hmm. example 
uh, that's sort of what liquid democracy is. And so to go back to what we were talking about earlier, um, for democracy itself uh, right now, you know, Sovereign itself is the app that we have developed that implements liquid democracy mm-hmm. um, from a very, you know, basic sort of standpoint. Um, and the the main challenge that we have ahead is actually um, uh, implementing it with the the blockchain component to it, right? Okay. Uh, yep. We, we want to offer the, you know, while using the, the blockchain component, you know, we can offer that that incorruptible uh, feature, right? Which is which is what we're going for. You know, <laughs> I keep mentioning corruption as a main problem <laughs> in Venezuela, and yeah, the corruption is what we're trying to what we're trying to eradicate or yeah. you know at least you know tone down yeah and that's what i was talking to santi about today at lunch he's very excited for the lightning network to come and sort of experiment with that and see if you can use micro transactions of yeah. as quasi like colored coins to, to yeah to vote with yeah absolutely we're excited about that yeah um and then so What's it been like, like building this? Like, what's the type of research you've been doing? What, 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 uh, what type of technologies are you guys working with on Sovereign? And obviously, you you want to hook it into a blockchain eventually. It's yeah, not, it's not, you guys have not hooked it up to to a blockchain yet. That's right? what we're doing right now. Yeah, That's yeah. What we got to do the and and it's it's quite a challenge as you can imagine because um, we gotta acknowledge and recognize that the 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 blockchain um, technologies, the blockchain space right now is still somewhat at an early phase right yes um and so there's a lot of exploration that and you know and research that we that we that we're doing right now and that we still need to do um but but yeah no it, uh, it's been fun the working at democracy earth has definitely been fun the um, like i was telling you earlier that i mean the, the team itself has has been distributed from from the very start uh so you know being an open source project that's that's distributed it, it that in itself comes with with uh some benefits but some challenges as well um what are the challenges well you gotta get right the the communication for example right mm-hmm. um and being able to work in a in a sync way uh which i think we're doing pretty pretty good about um, but it's not, it's not, I don't think it's the, the, the normal default that for everybody. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, uh, open source projects have a, a history of having a hard time of funding themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, we're not, we're not exempt for that as well. So those are, those are some of the challenges, but at the same time, you know, it, it brings, it brings a lot of, uh, good opportunities as well. I mean, open source projects by nature, you know, you, uh, it, the the way Santi said it was like every, if there's somebody out there in the world who truly like cares about your project, they will find you. <laughs> they, like they will find a way to find you. That's kind of what happened to me, really. Like we connected. How'd you find Santi? We connected uh, on I've, on Twitter. Uh, I first saw like a, a video of him. Um, this is when uh, for the World Economic Forum mm-hmm. um, that he like participated at once uh i saw a video from him once and i was like okay this this dude is like you know i think it's talking some sense um started following him on twitter and then the that's when they were doing the whole partido the red thing uh but i was just you know just sort of following from the distance uh and then i found out that they had moved to san francisco 
uh, and they were doing the the Y Combinator mm-hmm. uh, program, right? And that's and that's that's when Democracy OS sort of evolved into Democracy Earth in a way. Uh, and that's I was living in San Francisco at the time as well, so that's how that's how we connected. But uh, but the, the the point I was trying to make is that because it's an open source project, you know, like I approached them and they were like, yeah, dude. Do whatever you want. You know? mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, the nature of open source projects. And so I, I started contributing, uh, as as anyone else can contribute. Um, and and you know I, I care enough about the project that I, I decided to to focus full time. Awesome. So that's pretty cool. That's incredible. And what are you doing? Are you doing development? Uh, yeah. Research. Yeah, development. Um, development. Yeah. Development. Front end, okay, back end. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of uh, as it happens with small organizations small startups uh you end up doing a lot of things mm-hmm. uh, so it's not just development uh there's a lot of sort of uh, from the 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 community aspect a lot of things that that i've i've helped uh with before uh i have a background in in education too so i wanna i wanna help on the on the education side as well um but yeah mostly development there's a there's a lot there's a lot we need to code yeah yeah um that's fucking incredible. I mean, and that's like, that's what I think a lot of people don't get in today's day and age. I've said this online, I've said this on Twitter before. People, it hasn't hit people in earnest yet that you can truly like learn anything online and then contribute like yeah, pretty quickly. Uh, this is something that I talk about a lot in the newsletter and on this podcast is that the pace at which technology is evolving we can't handle it like as a species like it's been growing at such a pace that like s- that generations before us like are like getting completely lost in my yeah. mind. like completely lost in this also like what the hell is going on yeah. and i feel like the onus is on us as the younger generation to sort of like catch up to the pace of change and sort of evolve as fast as these technologies are and i'm still trying to figure out whether or not that's possible or like is it possible like to because <laughs> yeah. i think I don't know if it was with Yuza, but like I was talking with somebody on this podcast. Like I fucking remember when caller IDs came out and that was like a huge thing in my mind. And, and now that we have fucking supercomputers in our hand, we have the blockchain. Now we have Bitcoin. We have a completely peer to peer censorship resistant money. Like people couldn't fathom that 20 years ago and now it's here. And and now we, have to live in a world in which it's here and, and sort of wield it to to our needs and to to our wants to an extent. Yeah. I think it's the right mentality to have, right? To to try to have a what they call like a growth mindset, right? And and be adaptable and flexible. Um because, you know, soon I don't know if you know, but soon we will be the old soon. <laughs> I'm already feeling old as fuck, dude. It th- I mean think about it. Uh, somebody born today 2017 2016 like this is the the worst piece of technology i've ever seen right <laughs> and uh How did that? they don't they won't know what a cd is they yeah just, <laughs> it's crazy like, that's not, not even a cassette tape a cd yeah yeah um yeah when's the last time you've seen a dvd exactly my point right Every, everyone just netflixes whatever that is yeah <laughs> <laughs> been a while yeah yeah um and and you know and for us like i guess okay we i think we all grew up with it with the internet but the internet itself was the same thing right like for the people who who were pre-internet right like they they were probably saying the same things we're saying right now i don't know um for example i i heard a story once of um 
the okay so i heard a story once of a of a cuban it was this was in a, in a different podcast of a cuban who was also migrating from cuba um and the the country that he went to was venezuela and in my mind i was like dude like why don't you pick a better country like you're going (laughs) you're not not really making a change but what was interesting is that in that in this podcast he said that 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 venezuela was like it was it was better it was okay um and the point that he was trying to make is that in venezuela they had he had internet he could access the internet and so to me i think of it and okay the cuban revolution you know that happened back in uh, 59 or whatever yeah, it was yeah the 50s when JFK was still around and, and you know back then the internet wasn't wasn't a thing as it, as it was in, in 99 when, when Chavez came in right so that's like one difference between like Cuba and Venezuela and you know both of the, the revolutions that happened um, and, and it's true maybe because there was there was actually uh, there was internet by the time Chavez came in uh, that, that that changes the whole thing you know, we were already using that technology and that that um sets us apart from from what happened in Cuba for example yeah I don't want to equate it like I don't want to say like the fact they had the internet puts you like in a better placement maybe it does but like the the repercussions of the regime are just a dread just well, a dire yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and it's That's a good point too how do we solve the world's problems, guys? Are we going to solve the world's problems tonight? That's what I want to know. We <laughs> uh, can try. <laughs> exactly, we can give it our best shot. That's um, it's a it's a bigger um, it's a bigger conversation of. So this is this is one thing I can dive into you too with you too is. You guys are immigrants. You moved to America like midway through your lives. Like, how would you? Like, what is your take on America right now? We've got Donald Trump as president. We've got a butt ton of debt. We've got a bunch of people watching Bravo. Some people are saying we're in the bread and circuses phase of, of our empire. Um, what would you guys say as outsiders coming into this country? Um, Zal, I'll let you go first. <laughs> um, it's honestly, it's it's not as bad as 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 uh, people make it. it I guess expo- it, it goes back to the whole exposure thing. You know, it, it all depends on what you're used to and all that. So, if I'm comparing this situation to the situation that I'm or that uh, I ran away from at home, this is I mean, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. It's way better. So, so it all comes down to that old exposure. Yeah, I can. The thing is, I've I've been here long enough. Well, and, and, and I, I believe both of us have been here long enough to see, you know, the, to, to actually witness these changes and stuff. So so you can relate to what people are saying mm-hmm. around here. You can see what they mean that, you know, with Donald Trump in, you know, you compare that to, to uh, when Obama was in before that, uh, George Bush and all that. You can, you know, you can, you can relate to that. But comparing it to the situation that you ran away from at home, light and day. Yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's so it's all relative, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm not particularly happy of the the situation in the U.S. right now. Well, like you know, with with uh, with the current president and, all, and this and that. But but yeah, I mean, coming from from what I've seen before, like I, I lost trust in the government a long time ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, we've had clowns as presidents. Uh, in Venezuela for for a while, so it's not it's not nothing new to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but but yeah, I mean, I um, 
I, uh, I think uh, as, a, as an immigrant in this country, like, uh, yeah, I think the U.S. has, has given me tons of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And, and as, as Zah says, it's, yeah, it, it can always be worse. Trust me. Yeah, <laughs> it can always no. be worse. No, obviously. Obviously it can. I'm just worried about everybody getting complacent. Uh, that was one thing growing up playing lacrosse uh, with the coaches that I had. One thing that they c- continually drove to us is don't get complacent. Don't mm. get complacent. Right. Don't ever get complacent. Don't ever think you're the best. Yeah. And I just worry that at some point, in some regards, we're getting complacent here. And I don't know if it's a fact that, like, so, it co- like, it comes down to our government. In my mind, politicians are some of the, the scummiest people on earth. Obviously, our politicians are not as bad as your politicians. Maybe they are, but they don't have the powers to, to wield like your politicians do. Right. But I... I don't trust. I don't trust a goddamn politician as far as I could throw him. Like, and that's something that, like, like it. It's just been time after time again. They promise you the world, and then give you give you the complete opposite of what they promised. And yeah. that's some, one thing I worry. Like, even though we have a great here, I mean, I who am I to fucking complain? Like, like sitting here talking. But with you but you too. should. That's the thing. I mean, you don't want it to let it get to the point where you know Venezuela is in bad ways. Like that's the thing. Like you don't want to be us. Yeah, do you, you 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 should feel worried, and yeah, you you should complain, and, and that's that the, the whole point of the markets, right? Everybody can can express their what, what they're thinking. Yeah, and that's one thing. Yeah, and like I said, that's one thing I worry. Two people are getting too complacent here, and it's just it's a weird time to be yeah, alive. It is. Uh, it is because we're really. Um, it seems we're witnessing uh, a paradigm shift, right? With with the internet and techno- with technologies like the internet and, and, and the Bitcoin blockchain, this and that, um, it seems to be it seems to be a, a higher level like macro change from like mm-hmm. you know one place to, to another. So it's not specific to to Venezuela or Zimbabwe, like you know maybe Venezuela is like more ahead of uh, in in the down the down the path. But um, but it's a uh, it seems to be like a higher level um, sort of change that's happening, right? Yeah, it, it, I must feel like it's a consciousness change, like within our species, like fucking as humans, like you, I could just like with Twitter in particular, like you can reach out and connect with anybody. Like it is an empathy creator. Like I've talked about this before, but like yeah. It is just like the access to information and access to other people around the world that we have right now. It's like, holy shit, like most people on the internet are realizing like, hey, we're all just people with the same needs at the end of the fucking day. And yep. Yep. and a lot of people are realizing that they see eye to eye with people they otherwise thought they wouldn't if they didn't have the internet, you know? And, yep. and that's because the narrative, nobody controls the narrative anymore. The narrative plays out online and it's a free-flowing thing and so dynamic too right constantly changing too no it's crazy it is um that's one that's one thing i'm very interested in and is is the paradigm shift that we're living in and yeah and trying to help people realize that we are living within a paradigm shift and i don't know i don't know how to how to express it at times like it's it's hard to put your your. It's hard to put words to. It's hard to produce words to explain it because yeah. it's just. It, to me, it's like a feeling. It's like I can almost like fucking talking with you guys, like meeting you guys and yeah, and talking about these problems is like ah, uh. yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, like we connected over 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 the internet. Over t- we connected yeah. over Twitter. So it is empowering. It's very very empowering. And and I think we're still trying to figure it out, like what this all means. Uh, but again, you know, like the the kid who was born in 2017, like you know, they're growing up in this. So for them, it's gonna be uh, a given. And we can turn this back to Bitcoin. Like, so they're born in a world that they've never lived in a world where Bitcoin didn't exist. Like, how do you think that's going to change going forward? Like, in Bitcoin in particular, like, how do you see it evolving if if it succeeds? Like, what 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 do you think it could do, like, to change the world? Like, what, what potential does it have to change the world? In what ways? I think, um, you know, throughout history, it's what what we've seen is more or less the same the same pattern like when 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 a technology comes around that's orders of magnitude better than what's available it'll eventually get get accepted right it'll eventually get um it'll become mainstream mm-hmm. um so you know again for the kids being born in in uh, 2017 this year 2018 2018 <laughs> <laughs> um, as uh, as Andreas has said it before, the, the one and only, you know, the, the, when you when you present it to them, like, okay, you can either go to the bank from nine to five Monday to Friday, blah blah, blah or you can do this Bitcoin thing, you know, uh, anytime, any anywhere, blah blah. But it's gonna be a no-brainer for 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 them, and um, it's at. I, I mean, I'm not a history expert, but I, I think it's just what happens when a when a technology is is better than the other. It eventually takes over. Yeah, I'm I'm one of those optimists on this uh, on this uh, topic with how Bitcoin is going to impact the thing with uh, impact the future. And I mean, with the growing importance of 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 the internet, everyone's on the internet now. You know, it's 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 only I feel like it's only a matter of time until you know we we. We, we take our financial institutions to the internet, which means, you know, with Bitcoin, as it becomes more mainstream, as people uh, learn about it, especially in situations like ours, you know, it'll start in situations like ours where, you know, we, we have no other option. So the next, the next uh, country to have, to have like a financial crash when, uh, when uh, Bitcoin is actually now, you know, steady and mainstream, they, they probably, that's, that's going to be an option. It's gonna be a solution, and you know it's 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 there. Why not take it? Why why do you why would you uh, go through the suffering and pain that Zimbabwe went through when we 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 had no access to money? Yeah. But you know, if we had Bitcoin at the time, that's you know that's and yeah. it's mature and people trust it more. You know, that's it's an option. It's that's a option. that's a great point because people aren't gonna to revert to the shitty things that led to the problems that they got. And I mean, Satoshi. He created Bitcoin as a, I don't know if it's a direct response to the financial ter- turmoil of 2008, the financial, the world financial crisis of 2008, but he fucking hashed it into the Genesis block. Like, exactly, yeah. Like the chancellor on brink of second bailout of the banks. Like yep. he made an overt statement right off the bat, like we can do things a better way. And hey, this is Bitcoin. And it's a very it's, powerful statement, yeah. Really? It, it really is. It's like... And it's crazy that we live in a world with Bitcoin, and it just this thing just came out of nowhere. Let's get into Satoshi narratives. <laughs> what do you, who do you think Satoshi is? Do you think it's a person? Do you think it's a group? Do you think it's an AI? Do you think it's an alien? Uh, Satoshi, uh, Satoshi's all of us. We are Satoshi. We are all Satoshi. We're all Satoshi. Yeah. I like um, that. 
I don't know. I don't know if it's a it's an AI or group or a he or she, but it doesn't matter. That's the thing. That's a, that's a beautiful thing of it, right? Um, yeah. It doesn't matter who such a she is because that's a, that's the whole point. The him or her or them remaining unknown um, just sort of allows and unleashes everything that that's happened, right? Yeah. So I'm not worried about it. I'm not, you know, if he or she ever comes out later, it'll be like <laughs> quite a thing. Quite <laughs> But uh, for the time being, it's it pr- it probably better if they remain unknown. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the things I've been talking a lot recently is the narratives. And I I don't think anybody's ever going to beat the Satoshi narrative. Um, people people get really religious and really like religion, right? Yeah, <sighs> like there's going to be a, there's going to be a religion made that revolves around Satoshi. Not in our generation, I don't think. I think like in two generations down. And I'm not a religious person. Like I. I grew up Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Went to Catholic school. Went to Catholic high school. Um, yeah, same here. I, I mean, believe in the golden rule, all that. I don't really agree with the church at all, but in sort of their hierarchical structure. But I will concede that throughout history, humans have developed these religious narratives around things like the resurrection of Christ, the immaculate conception, like. Satoshi just dropping Bitcoin is similar to the Immaculate Conception in my in my mind. Like, it, and I can see generations from now, uh, humans building a narrative around yeah. around this this airdrop of Bitcoin. On, yeah, on a mailing list. Well, we humans like stories. That's a that's a, um, I think uh by now a, a truth by now, right? If you want to get to the the, the I you, fucking love stories. You, we are brain wired <laughs> to like stories. That's like that's how we work. Um, if you want to get into the the Yuval Harari narrative, right? Uh, stories are what 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 drives us, and and it's just it's just how how we work. What narrative is that? Yuval Harari, the author. He wrote the Sapiens book. Okay, get yeah. into that a little bit. What's going on there? Uh, Sapiens is a book that was published. I don't know when it's published. Five, six years ago, or something like that. This is a uh, new tales from the Crypt Book Club book. Go up and pick it up, <laughs> Sapiens. Um, and it's a pretty good book. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good book. Uh, he actually came up with a a, a sequel to that. Uh, that's just as interesting. Um, and anyways, it, in one of the points that he makes in that book is that that uh, you know humans are the 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 way that we can cooperate and work together. It's because we are, you know, we like stories. Like we, we are driven by stories, and um, and everything is a story when you kind of come think of it. Like you know, money is a story, uh, religions are a story. Um, uh, it at, at the very core of how we work, narratives sort of drive, you know, the way we the way we function. Are humans dumb? Are we dumb to an extent? <laughs> no. Obviously um, not. I'm speaking into a microphone that we're gonna that we're gonna record this and put it on the internet. We're smart to an extent, but but but, but we're dumb to an extent too. Probably, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, and we're driven. That reptilian part of our brain still drives a lot of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, we can take a break and think about what we want to talk about. Well, if you want to talk about books, <laughs> I know you like uh, you like the sovereign individual. I like the sovereign individual. You want to get into that? Yeah, why not? I mean, because I, I think it's directly related to a lot of things that we're talking about, right? All right, let's jump into it. What do you want to talk about with it? Like, do you want to talk about, like, 
hell. So one of my favorite themes in the Sovereign Individual, they predicted Bitcoin on page 25, Revenge of Nations. <laughs> I can probably read it verbatim to you, but I've done that too many times. And the big theme throughout the book is the subject of the logic of violence and the fact that when you get a money that's cryptographically secured and distributed uh, that is not centrally uh, dispersed, you give power to the sovereign, to the individual, to withhold money from governments trying to collect taxes. It's a heavy thought. People cannot even fathom uh, like withholding money from governments. And that is what Bitcoin, I, like it or not, that is probably the biggest innovation that, that, that from a monetary perspective that it provides is that you can withhold your money from governments to an extent. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, th and that's the, you know, the reason why I even, I even bring it up is because, yeah, I think it's definitely related to everything we're talking about, like this whole like paradigm shift of, you know, with technologies like the internet and Bitcoin, how it changes, uh, how we can, you know, how we can uh, organize ourselves as a society, how we can do things. And, and yeah, I think it's, uh, it's something to pay attention to for sure. What, um, so what, what else in the sovereign individual interests you? Do well, they go hard at, uh, yeah, they go hard at the, um, the whole topic of nation states mm -hmm. and how they see that it can that can change that can evolve right and obviously that's yeah my my guest last week jw weatherman he argues that the nation state died like 30 years ago when cryptography became mainstream and we're that's, just we're just waiting to realize it that's a good point that's a good point so let's dig a little deeper into that like what is the whole the transition from a nation state world to to the sovereign individual world how would you describe that I mean, it's uh, it's obviously kind of complex, and it's not gonna happen overnight. No. Um, it's gonna it's gonna take time, but it at the end of the day, you know, you can look at it. Uh, I like I think in the sovereign individual, like they look at it as a if you if you look at a at a nation state as a as a as an organization as a company, mm -hmm. um, where the customers can have control, right? I think that's uh, the the way they put it. Um, as of right now, you know, they, the nation states have control because they, they actually, you know, own the, the currencies and this and that, and they, you know, they're supposed to provide for security. Uh, but as, as that changes, you know, as, you know, as something like Bitcoin emerges and now uh, there's a, a sound form of money that, that we can use that's not tied or related to a government, then then things start to change right then then maybe okay we can think of ourselves as as customers and we can demand demand to the the government this or that and, and they're they're just you know inevitably start losing losing power at least on paper right this is mm -hmm. all, like, we don't i don't know like we don't know what the fuck is going to happen but at least on paper they 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 just start you know they're going to start they're going to start becoming more and more irre irrelevant yeah and that's like uh i've got a troll on twitter chef Shaft Gunk, shout out Shaft Gunk. He's a incredible Twitter name. I appreciate you, Shaft Gunk. I don't know if you're listening to this. You're probably not. But his big thing, he's like, he's like, Bitcoin's gonna fail because these governments are just gonna kind of mad for you guys with guns. Like you're you're shit out of luck. Like it's a it's a nice little pipe dream you got there. But at the end of the day, these governments got arms and they're they're gonna use them. 
that and that's the scary part that well not 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 the guns thing is that they they still have more of the control as to the success of bitcoin like for example as as i think you mentioned earlier that uh they were looking at the energy the energy use in venezuela uh-huh. and uh, yeah. targeting the, the 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 miners and stuff yeah. like that so they still have those yeah those uh, those ways of trying to shut it down which is i i you know i find it uh find it scary yeah i find it uh, really scary that uh, they have that yeah and it's I don't know, but at the end of the day, it's people in the military are people too. Like how that's th- so that's another interesting topic we can get into is politicians and people in the military owning things like Bitcoin. Like at a point, like it is in their best interest to 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 vote and to act in a way that that makes Bitcoin succeed to an extent. So this is something where you can sort of Trojan horse, like Santi likes to say, you can yeah. Trojan horse like an idea into a corrupt structure and maybe that idea is so strong that it holds on that those people are more willing to fight for that idea than the pre-existing structure that they work for yeah yeah maybe i mean it goes back to the the point of you know if there are two things on the table and one is or just of magnitude better than the other mm-hmm eventually you know it should it should win out but it, it does the thing it takes time though it's not it's not, it's not gonna happen overnight it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time um that's another thing i harp on here is patience people need to exude some form of patience yeah um you're asking for a lot martin <laughs> human, human beings are not patient you're asking for a lot yeah even though i but I'm, it's true it is it is and that's what pisses me off a lot about the space and the cryptocurrency space in general is that people are fucking impatient. It's like, I want everything out of the box, like to work how it should work. I need a world computer right now. It's like, eh, eh. Doesn't quite work like that, right? No, it doesn't. It does not. Um, trying to think where else do you guys want to go? Well, but so to circle back, we started, we started out, uh, talking about the Petra, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so to circle back to the the petrol and how that relates to like you know everything we're talking about the the petrol, like it's it, it it's kind of boring in a way like you know it's it's a um, a govern a desperate regime trying to you know play their cards so they can sort of hold on to power, um, but when you look at it from the from the higher level point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. It's it's actually not that interesting. Like you know, it was it was news this week, but it's probably gonna like die off or whatever. Um, and 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 what's more interesting is sort of the 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 macro level. Like, okay, what's actually what's actually going on, right? Like how how Bitcoin and and you know crypto space in general, cryptocurrencies have can actually influence and, and impact the the geopolitical landscape. Uh, you know, on, on a global level. Um, I Na, Naval was uh, was tweeting about well I mean he's always tweeting but um, he was talking about how the 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 real the real movie to watch is the 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 whole like elites versus the masses mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you you saw that tweet I did not and and I and I think there's a lot of truth to that right um, because it's sort of what it's what's happening in Venezuela but. I mean, Venezuela may be an outlier in a specific case in itself, but it's, it's happening at a, at a global level. It's a it's a um, a symptom that that can be seen more or less from anywhere anywhere in the world. 
Yeah, I think um, I'm going to add some more books to the book club here. I think Nassim Taleb's um, Inserto series has really opened up people's eyes to the intellectual yet idiot sort of class. Of, Which one? What's, what's it called? Uh, Inserto. It's a series, so it's Fooled by Randomness, um, The Black Swan, Anti-Fragile, um, and now Skin in the Game. That's coming out soon. Has not come out yet. Okay. Um, but basically what he talks about is he's he's got a probability and statistics background. And just talks about how a lot of the world is run or a lot of what we do in the world is based off of models created by intellectuals or academics that think they know how the world works. And they've got these models that they plug numbers into and in particular economists who central bankers who are trying to predict growth and inflation rates. They use these models that have no connection. I mean, they have somewhat of a connection, but at the end of the day, you can't model out growth and you can't model out sort of how the world's going to evolve. And a lot of people are trying to do this. And it's like people are starting to wake up to the fact that these people that we depend on to make heavy decisions like monetary policy and, and geopolitical policy for us are basically using information that has no no semblance of reality to an extent. And more and more people are becoming aware of this fact that, hey, these fucking assholes that have been telling us what to do for the last few decades actually don't have a great idea of what they're doing. And I think you two know that better than most, obviously, yeah. uh, with how your currencies have been depreciated. But sometimes yeah. I feel like here in America we're frogs boiling in water because we're letting these these wow. intellectuals sort of drive decisions and old people from an old world drive decisions that really aren't going to work out in this new paradigm that we're living in dude we're all frogs <laughs> um uh, in venezuela i mean that that metaphor is quite quite uh quite powerful really if you think about it um why is that well i mean in venezuela it's the same it's the same you know we we use literally the same the same metaphor right really yeah yeah it's not so i i i i find it i find it interesting that you think you know, uh, that right here, right now, like Americans are are, are, fro are frogs in a boiling water. Because I mean, I can say the same thing about about Venezuela, and then maybe he's like the same thing about yeah. Zimbabwe. So um, it would be interesting to see. To I'm a pe I'm a pessimist to a degree. Degree. I mean, I'm trying to be hyper aware. I I I like to see you as a realist. Yeah, you're realist. Not, you're not. You're not. Yeah, you're not. Pes I don't think you're you're pessimistic at all. No. I would agree too. I, actually, I'm going to turn that. I completely contradict what I just say. I would say I'm an optimist, but I am trying to be a realist to like help people recognize, like, hey, motherfuckers, we should be paying attention to this shit. Like, you cannot be, you cannot be growing your monetary base from 800 billion dollars to 4.2 trillion dollars over the course of six years. Like, that's just unnatural, and it does not bode well for the future generations. And let's say this: we're all you're 27. Yes. I'm 26, you're 27. Seven. Yeah. Like, we're all the same age. We're the average millennial. And this is the fucking world we got to build. Like, this is the world we're going to, like, move oh, into. Yeah. Like, what? Are, what's our stamp on the world going to be? Are we just going to let things happen the way they have been happening? Or are we going to push that paradigm shift faster and harder than, than, than generations before us could imagine? And I am for the latter. I would really like to change things as not as quickly as possible, but like as drastically as possible over the course of our lifetime. Because I think it could be better. Right. Obviously, it can be better. You can never get again. What? Never get fucking complacent. Like. Yeah. Right. 
I mean, I think we we have to go for the latter because of you know what we know that things are not working, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe if we, I mean, it doesn't matter, like, we're 27 right now, but if we happen to live in a world where, like, things were working, then we weren't thinking about this, you know, like, we'd probably be doing, like, I don't know what regular humans do, <laughs> trying to have a good time and this and that. Um, and so, and so I think it's because of where we are right now, the the, the situation, like, the, the times we're living in, then, yeah, I mean, of course, we're going to try to look for, for better solutions, better alternatives. Yeah. Um, to quote the um, sovereign individual. Uh, understanding the way the world works means developing a realistic intuition of the way the human society obeys the mathematics of natural processes. Holy shit. Reality is non-linear, but most people's expectations are not. To understand the dynamics of change, you have to recognize that human society, like other complex systems in nature, is characterized by cycles and discontinuities. Whoa. I don't know. I'm a... Whoa. I mean, that's exactly what I've been fucking preaching is like we just need to realize that this world is changing faster than we expect. Like our expectations are linear, like you said, and this change is parabolic. We like, I mean, yeah, we've been that's what we were taught, right? Like you at least I was You go to school, you get a degree, yeah, you get a job, you pay off your debt, you get a thing, family. And your 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 curriculum is supposed to be like this this linear representation of like, you know, this next job or whatever. And uh, it's just not the case reality is non-linear and um and i mean i think to the degree that each person or individual can 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 cope with that then then yeah you can make sense of out of the out of the world the way you want to but um but it's just it's just you know the facts you know it's what we're presenting today like with the internet and bitcoin and everything changing so fast the acceleration of uh, technology right that being so so fast um I th i think it's it's what we're sort of thrown into right yeah that's why we're in the studio right now to try to make sense of all of it. Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Wish we knew. That's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, where are we right now in this podcast? I'm getting a little lost in this. I'm a fucking drunk. I don't know about you two. Um, <laughs> uh, what do you got in that book right there? Eduardo's got a, Eduardo's got a notebook open. He's got some notes down. I know you you want to talk about something. What's in there? Uh, just some notes that I took. You know, some preparation for this. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I think we've we've uh, we've hit most of the points. Uh, we talk about Venezuela and sort of the the contextual history of you know why Venezuela is where it is right now. Uh, and when you look at the Petro from that from that optic you know from that from with that lens and yeah you, you can you can totally see that the petra is just uh you know another car that the regime is playing to finance himself and trying to you know bypass his sanctions the u.s sanctions and this and that uh and it's nothing new it's nothing nothing new did you actually did you know they've tried something like this before already as a matter of fact i did not know this uh um, yeah but this was pre-bitcoin i don't know when it was exactly, but I'm uh, pretty sure it was pre-Bitcoin. It was a coin called Sucre, and it was a digital coin that they try to like you know make happen uh, between a uh, a specific number of of countries, and uh, so you know they've been thinking of you know ways to to scam their citizens for right for a while now get away with the yeah and for a while, um, but again Bitcoin 
Bitcoin is like this, you know, huge train coming down the road, right? so <laughs> nobody can avoid it. It is. Um, that's what Santi and I were talking about today at lunch. Is like Bitcoin is a living organism that is just yeah. basically, uh, it's contracting out humans to make it stronger to an extent. So people, <laughs> nice. hum, humans are, like they that. are, they are. I like that. You, they're, I like that. And the way you do that is you create a incredibly perfect incentive system with the way the game theory the mathematics the economics work out when it comes to these miners competing for bitcoin like bitcoin has literally entered the world and like contracted humans to keep it alive via mining and humans will do this because we're inherently greedy or ambitious whatever word you want to use and we want to get ahead so the the idea that oh my god if i plug in this this fucking miner to the wall and it can produce money uh it could potentially produce money in the form of bitcoin like a lot of humans are going to join that race to win that bitcoin humans like that story right it's a great story (laughs) it's a great narrative and that's what (sighs) it sounds like something uh something that santi would say yeah (laughs) it's it's a living organism so ralph we were talking about ralph merkel who basically started the discovery or discovered the technology that would eventually lead to Bitcoin, which is Merkle trees. And I don't know if that's the only technology that would lead to Bitcoin, but it's one of the core technologies, Merkle trees. And basically he described Bitcoin as a living organism that because it's geographically dispersed between many people, like it can never die. Like you can, you can, it's like the Hydra, you can cut off one of the heads, but six more will grow in its place. And and it's copied across many, many, many computers across the world. And yeah. the network's only getting stronger as more and more computers join to to mine for it. And it's getting, it's, yeah. it's the Lindy effect. Every day that it survives makes it more probable that it will continue to survive going forward. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't he the one who said that you know, there could be like a, a nuclear war or something, catastrophe? Yeah. Cockroaches and Bitcoin survive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We humans could die, but <laughs> Bitcoin could instinctively be keep on keep yeah. on leaving. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely here to stay. I feel because uh, it's. I mean, the purpose. You can see the purpose. You can you can see it. You know, you can see the purpose that it serves, and especially especially coming like from from countries that went through you know a monetary crisis and uh, are exposed to corruption. It's there to solve that. So I I personally yeah. think as soon as it it'll take time. I mean, it's it's young. 2009 that's that's 10 years people will hop on board and once people people are on board that's you know i wouldn't be surprised if someone if someone came up to me and said you know in 50 years from now bitcoin is going to be the u.s dollar of the world i i i wouldn't be surprised to be honest i would not be either and that's the that's the one thing that sort of i don't want to say it freaked me out but like it was a big eye-opener last week the dude i was talking to is like jw weatherman he's like a hardcore cypherpunk like he's been working on technologies like bitcoin for years in the computer science and uh security world and he was like it's gonna happen faster than we think he Mm -hmm. thinks it's gonna like i was like maybe 10 years like it'll be somewhat mainstream he was like it's gonna happen a lot faster than than we think and we can fathom and i can see that to an extent like so what is bitcoin at the end of the day it's a hedge against a monetary a global monetary meltdown and Nobody knows when that happened. It's going back to Nassim Taleb, 
Inserto series part of the book club too. We're gonna get a book club list. Don't worry, people. But what he talks <laughs> about is in that book, the life of a turkey, like making it like comparing like comparing black swan events to the life of a turkey, like before Thanksgiving. So the tur- a turkey will live, and each day it lives, its life gets better and it gets more comfortable until the week before Thanksgiving, and mm. then all of a sudden gets its head chopped off and it's not living anymore. That growth, that growth and contentness and happiness stops abruptly and immediately goes to zero and that's sort of the way these systems are going to break down like it's going to seem like it's getting better the stock market's going all-time high forever and then one day something happens don't know what it is it's probably mass loss of trust in in the system but it could just gets its head cut off one day and it's pretty intense it's very intense but these are things you have to worry about and sort of take into consideration, I would, I would argue. Am I a pessimist or am I an op- optimist? I, I, I don't know. I think I agree with you. You're realistic. realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I watched that video that you shared the other day of, um, uh, of how they were talking about Bitcoin from like the generation point of view of like what has happened. Tom Lee's video? Yeah, 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 one. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he, he, he explained it pretty well, right? Like yeah. It, it, um, you look at asset flows across time, like it's pretty crazy how they line up with, like we are the average millennial, like, right? And then he was talking about like what, like uh, for somebody from you know twenty five, thirty five, or whatever, like they start investing, and like okay, so for somebody right now, like where would they invest? Mm-hmm. It's gonna be crypto. <laughs> Yeah, especially after you see the gains that people got last year, like you're talking about ten thousand percent gains in one year. Like, how could you avoid that asset class? Like, right. If you're, and it just makes more sense for us at a young age to dive into these assets because we're we're able to take bigger risk at this age because we have more time to recover. Like, an extent, like if we get blown up before we're thirty, right? You still have enough time to build sort of a nest egg before you you retire. That's even possible, but. Right, we right. we can take the bigger risk, and I think we are gonna we are taking that risk, and I will continue to take that risk until proven otherwise. Right, right, right. We have the the age right factor to to our advantage. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting because I mean, at the end of the day, it's there's always gonna be a risk. Of course, there's always gonna be a risk, and and we don't know. Nobody knows exactly what's gonna happen, but that's uh, that's the name of the game. You gotta you gotta risk it. Gotta risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> and uh, we're about two hours in here, I think. Unless Are you get, really? I think so. It's eight oh seven. But we could rip a three-hour guy. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I mean, I, I could talk about Venezuela all fucking sim- night. The similarities. <laughs> if you really want me to, go. Tell me what you. What do you want to talk about? Just go. No, go. I mean. What were you saying? The similarities, what? So the similarities in the story is is is, is incredible. Yeah, it really is between the uh, Venezuela. And, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's when weird. I was listening to your podcast, man, I was like, I've heard this story before. <laughs> 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 yeah, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin is. I I I I don't know what it's gonna do for your situation. To be honest, it might for I. It's interesting, yeah. It's the cryptocurrency aspect of it. I feel is is. It's 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 gonna pr- it's probably gonna prop your prop your regime your regime up. I f- I feel like Venezuelans, you you need to take advantage of uh, 
of uh, and I don't mean any offense by this, but anyway, uh, by the way, sorry. You do you need to take advantage of the whole uh, the 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 rise of the populist movement. Okay. And take you know take take th- this this is the time you see, you've, you've seen it before you're seeing it now you know we've seen Italy and you all through Europe the Middle East and all that capture that and you know get uh, get rid of these guys because we 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 Zimbabwe have actually just gone through that too we just we just toppled uh, Mugabe uh, uh, last year was yeah, right last right towards end last year so get yeah, get rid of the yeah so the the people currently in power yeah who yeah, sort of rose up because of the the whole populist uh, movement as well. Oh, the and oh, actually, yeah, they did, they did. Ma- Maduro, right? Maduro, he he did come in through. Yeah, well, dude, Maduro is just a clown, to be honest. Um, but but yeah, like uh, when if you go back to to Chavez, Chavez and uh, when Chavez rose in, yeah, I mean it was. Is uh, the it 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 offered or or showed all the the, diff- the factors that you need for like you know this what what a, what a populist movement can be right it was uh, it was this uh, you know person from you know that came from the from the bottom low income rural family blah blah uh, promising change promising this and that. Um, and 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 yeah, Venezuela was at a point where where change was needed. Like you know, it was the the the, the pyramid that had been formed because of the whole the whole uh, oil um, centric economy and all the the clientelism. Do you know is clientelism a word? Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. What is that? Clientelism? Climate? Mm, yeah, no clientel. So as in clients. So, yeah. Uh, so like, pe- like I think it's a word in English. <laughs> yeah, clients is, but I don't, I've never heard clientelism. the term clientelism. It's, it's just uh, buying votes. So, uh, you know, you will vote for me if I if I build you this this basketball court that you want, oh, okay. for example. Okay. Yeah, that was like the way things worked back in the day, and still work right now in Venezuela, and it's also true for you know other countries in Latin America. Uh, and you know, there's this. It was like a huge pyramid of clientelism that was that was established in Venezuela and 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 you know Chavez was elected basically to dismantle that you know like he was sort of uh singing and proposing all this this uh these solutions for a change and a revolution and this and that um and of course end up all being being you know vaporware (laughs) (laughs) um but um that's it. yeah that's how that's how we got to where we are right now power corrupts man definitely corrupts and and that's why for rich uh, uh resource rich countries and i keep going back to this whole like resource uh resource course um it's um it's been studied before and it's and, and you know it's it's just what happened it's happened to venezuela it's happened to other countries and the mo- the money will corrupt people. Is that why you're sort of drawn to Bitcoin? Is because there's no one in charge. There's no one person to corrupt. Would you have you thought about this before? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that decentralization aspect of you know Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general uh, speak to me and speak to anyone who would you know sort of anyone who who has been through the the situation like a Venezuelan would where you know where you lose all trust from the government mm-hmm. and you know the central banks and this and that and your currency is worth nothing 
uh yeah it definitely it definitely speaks to me for sure mm-hmm. um i think it can play a, a part of you know what can come in the future um even well even in venezuela like what you see right now um part of the the dissidents group uh the the various dissidents groups that, that are sort of like rising in venezuela uh they look at it from a network perspective like you know they're 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 starting to change their mentality and they're they're not they're trying to move away from you know like oh the one leader one leader is going to come is going to save us all like one leader this and that in this pyramid structure and they're starting to look at it from a different angle okay like we we should you know we we can be we can be networks human networks we can be we can work as um uh sort of check and balance the system together with without needing to depend on one person right right right. and and have it be so that it's way more decentralized and and so yeah i mean that that definitely speaks to to me personally damn fuck there's so much there's there's so so many problems to solve and there's so much to do exactly that's that's why it comes back to the patients, right? Like, yeah, I mean, there, there's so many solvents, uh, problems to solve. There's so much work to do, and and not gonna happen overnight. You gotta keep working hard. Well, all right. I think this is a perfect segue to a wrap up sort of exit question: Is how do we, as individuals, like, how do you, how do we work individually towards this goal of like a distributed network? Like, what what can you do as an? What would you advise individuals to work towards uh to help make this reality become true or help this idea become a reality excuse me well i think to start out it's realizing that yes as an individual like you can have a say you can do something about whatever it is that you care about you know Mm -hmm. uh in my case for example um becoming involved with democracy earth it ended up being a, a matter of okay, you know, like I can do something about democracy. You know, like as a, as an individual, I can I can provide. I can put my my little grain of uh, grain of salt. Um, and so just taking that first step of like actually acknowledging and realizing that yeah, like as an individual, you can do something about whatever you you care about. Uh, it's a it's an important step. Uh, and then it's 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 really a huge or yeah it's it's a, it's a long learning road to i mean at the end of the day right nobody really has all the answers um per se like nobody really has all the answers like in on a, on a personal level but on a collective level we can hopefully figure stuff out um so once you realize okay like i can do something about this then you start connecting you know that's that's what the internet is for and you know that's what you know you can learn online and you can do this and that and and then just try to connect and you know find the people that 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 are out there you know sort of working for the same goals that you're working for and then and then work together i mean but nobody has the answers like it's it we that's that's all the work we need to do right that's uh the the stuff we gotta do figure out how you can best contribute and work towards that zai you got any advice for the people out there um by bitcoin just sorry that 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 (laughs) yes that it's. I mean, it's. It's. It's courage. You. You know. You. You just uh, got to be courageous. And I mean, and and uh, I know, like the situation. The situation in, in Zimbabwe doesn't really harness that. You. That's. It's very hard to. To you know, to actually capture that. Uh, that. That aspect of it. You know, because it's a society. It's a suppressive society. So you know, it's just being courageous. 
I die. I don't know how, especially I don't know how like uh, the 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 institutions, how quickly the institutions will will adapt to to uh, um, to capture that 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 aspect. Because I mean the, the the generation, our older generation, are they they because of our medical advancements and stuff like that are li- are living longer. We in Zimbabwe. You know, being being forty years old, fifty years old, in politics is is very young, and these are the people that are you know the the seventy year olds are the ones that are making decisions for us. So yeah, it's it's just got to be courageous, and as you mentioned, the patience, the patience aspect too. Mm-hmm. You know, change uh, change takes a takes a while. Yeah, and you know, you just got to stick with it. Sometimes it'll it'll look like you know you're hitting a dead end. Actually, most of the time it'll look like you're hitting a dead end, but I, you know, as as most people. Most people that have been able to succeed, you know, they, they, they have similar stories. They will tell you that, you know, I, there was a point where I thought that this is where I capped out. Yeah. But I kept I kept with it, kept with the program and was able to, to overcome. So just being courageous and, and patient. Courageous, patient and, and persistent. I would say. And persistence. There you go. Persistence. Just keep going. Gentlemen, this has been an incredible conversation. Yeah, it was great, great learning. Uh, thank you for, for, for letting me sit in, by the way, Un- unannounced. It was, it was great, really <laughs> Hearing Zai. about the Venezuelan situation, it's it's completely. It's, Dude, it's I want to go to Zimbabwe, man. You should, you should. I and I want, I want to go to Venezuela. Maybe not, <laughs> not now. Uh, maybe give it a few years. Um, but um, but yeah, I, f- I feel like there's a, a lot in common. Yeah, I met, I met. Uh, uh, I was in Florida before this. I was in Tampa, Florida, and uh, a couple, a couple of my very close friends were, were Venezuelans. Yeah, so there's a lot so of Venezuelans in Florida. Florida yeah. yeah, Caracas, and uh, I forgot uh, one of my. Uh, uh, former uh, housemates. She's from the second city. I forgot what it's called, but I remember it was yeah. s- it's the second biggest city. Yeah, there's Paris. a lot of Venezuelans there. Yeah, yeah no, there's there's a lot. So I'd, I'd love to love to visit. All right, we'll make it happen. Yeah, there we go. We're doing um maybe we can do a content trip. Well, there we yeah. Let's one, do one it. Year, let's Eduardo Eduardo Zah and Marty oh, travel Marty, the world. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Go to Venezuela, Zimbabwe. And you want to come fun. with? I'm happy down. Me hablo muy poquito español. I don't speak. <laughs> you, I don't, don't, you don't speak Shauna. I don't speak Shauna. <laughs> I'll teach you. We'll How many bring, languages are there we'll in Zimbabwe? So, so the two, uh, two major, well, well, three counting English, three. So two native tongues, mm-hmm. uh-huh. the, the 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 natives of Zimbabwe. Then, depending on uh, on the part of the country that you're in, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So depending on which country you're bordering, you might get a little bit of the uh, Botswana and lingo if you're on the west side. On the east side, you might get a little bit of the Portuguese aspect from uh, from Mozambique, South Africa's influence, mm-hmm. the south and uh, the north is, is is the Zambian influence. Yeah. But our our ones that uh, that are I would say the the three major major Zimbabwean languages are English, Shona is the one that I speak. That's my major one. And within those languages too, there's there's dialects. So yeah, it's spoken differently and all that. And yeah, Devele the third. Hey, we uh, we aim to teach people here at, at Tales from the Crypt, and we just learned about the languages of Zimbabwe. There you go. <laughs> and we learned about we learned about a lot tonight, and we're gonna wrap it up here because we've been here for a while. Eduardo, where can we learn more about you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Um, it's at Mediet. It's M E D I ed um and yeah definitely check out the work we're doing with democracy.earth as well um i'm easy to find i'm online and my my twitter just because of the nature of what i 
do should not be taken literally and seriously just because of the nature of what I do. So, but you know, if if, if you're with me, conversation person to person that's when you'll actually learn a lot about me that's why i, I love yeah. having you in the studio because i get to learn about you yeah. <laughs> where you came which, from which my, my my persona on the internet is completely different too yeah to, i still to i still love that persona i mean yeah but is that is that I, intentional I'm an, I'm an entertainer yes it is it is very intentional it is very intentional yeah yeah i know i know a lot of i know i know uh, a lot of the fans might not listen to this so you know i'm not really disappointing that many people and Hey oh, man, I'm trying to pitch anyway. this to Dave. All right, every oh, every barstool oh, fan oh, should be so, listening so, so, to you this. Should, you should be listening to you listening to Marty. <laughs> you, should, you should be. No, it's good stuff. You'll learn. You'll learn. Actually, if you want to know Zah, listen to Marty. That's where <laughs> that's where Zah will actually come out. If you want to know the midget Zimbo, then you know follow Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, it's been a great been a great time in the studio here on this Friday night. We literally crushed half that bottle of whiskey. I think we're all three sheets to the wind right now. Um, you can find me at Marty Ben on Twitter. If you like this conversation, this ramble that we just had, please subscribe, rate, review. Um, let me know if I'm doing good, doing bad. Uh, share it with your friends looking to get into the space. Subscribe to my newsletter, Marty's Bent. You can find that link on my Twitter bio. Um, and that's all we have for this week, freaks. I uh, hope you guys learned a lot. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, peace and love. No, thank you. Thank you for letting me. That's fun, man. Great, great pleasure, it, man. It's, it's it's so fascinating. Yeah. It's incredible how how because my brother my brother tells me this that you know a model I, I have a finance background. Uh huh. Okay. Finance. My my academic training is in finance. And yeah. My brother tells me that a model is a model every type of business. And yeah. You know, it's it's I'm. I'm 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 a believer of the model. Is a model to an extent, but my brother. I'm not. I don't have a yeah an economic background.